What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. President Biden is now in India. What's on his agenda at the G20 summit? And what challenges do the leaders face? We'll bring you live updates from on the ground in New Delhi. Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson allegedly pressured South Africa into a no-fault contract. That's before they would ship doses of their COVID vaccine to the country. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley pulls dead even with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a key battleground state and speaks out on China and Ukraine. Streets are turned into rushing water and landslides in Hong Kong. The Asian financial hub has seen its heaviest rain in over a century. The 10th NTD Classical Chinese Dance Competition is in full swing. We bring you the exciting moments on stage and the stories of the participants. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, President Biden has landed in New Delhi, India for the G20 summit. Joining us live is NTD's Iris Dow from New Delhi. Iris, what's the president up to and what do we expect to see? Hey, good afternoon, Chris. So you're right, President Biden has landed here in India's capital, New Delhi, for the upcoming G20 summit. And this is the first time in India after becoming the president. And he got a grand welcome from Indian officials at the airport. And after landing here, President Biden held a one-on-one -on -one bilateral meeting with Indian Prime Minister Modi at Modi's house. And just about 10 minutes ago, we got a statement coming out from that meeting and telling us that the two leaders reaffirmed their support for building a global semiconductor supply chain and also reaffirmed support for India as a permanent member of the UN Security Council. Of course, the two leaders also reaffirmed values such as human rights and freedom and democracy. So that's what we just heard from the two, me two leaders meeting at Modi's house. Very interesting. Thank you for that. And turning to G20, what's on Biden's agenda in the next few days? So that's a great question. So Biden, as we just talked about, has got here today and the G20 summit is to begin tomorrow morning. And at the G20 summit here, President Biden is expected to pitch the message on a world stage that the U.S. economy is doing well after the pandemic. He's also going to make the case that the U.S. is a better partner for developing countries than China. And that's as China is experiencing a sliding down of its economy and that its many lending practices to develop developing countries have turn out to be ultimately dead traps. So we do expect to hear more from President Biden in the coming days about his push to expand multilateral lenders like the World Bank, which he says will serve as a better alternative to China's Belt and Road Initiative. And of course, we know that the ultimate goal there is to counter China's influence in Africa and around the world. Iris, what challenges could be present during the summit? I mean, both Chinese and Russian leaders won't attend the summit. Will that create any issues? So that's also a great question. So Janet Yellen, the Secretary of Treasury, this morning in New Delhi held a press conference and she told us that the absence of those two leaders won't affect the G20's mission and helping to address global challenges. However, one thing to pay attention to here is that diplomats as well as officials from different countries have been saying that they're trying very hard to try to reach a consensus in the language in the final communique to be issued after the summit. So for example, President Biden has been pretty successful 
successful in rallying Western countries to support Ukraine, but his push for that has been met with some reluctance among what's called the global south, or really India, Brazil, as well as South Africa. So that's one thing to watch for. It remains to be seen how these leaders will come together to address touchy topics like China and Russia, and of course, what they'll say in their final document. Chris. All right, Iris, excellent reporting in India. Is Bidenomics going global? That's the White House's agenda during Biden's three days in India. He says he's trying to bring Bidenomics to the rest of the world. NTD Business's Don Ma speaks to an economic analyst for Insight. So here with me to discuss is economic analyst Antonio Graceffo. So Antonio, you've analyzed uh, and written about this topic in detail, uh, but I think before we talk about whether it's uh, Bidenomics will work for the rest of the rest of the world, um, has Bidenomics worked in the U.S.? Absolutely not. So basically, we have a very low basis if you if you start with COVID, and that's the Biden White House is playing around with. They're starting with the COVID lockdowns as a basis. And they're saying, we're doing better now than we did during lockdown. Yes, yes, we are doing better now than when the whole country was locked down and not allowed to go to work. However, if we compare it to 2019 or 2020 before the uh, lockdowns, no, we are not doing better. Things were much better under Trump. Basically, all the Bidenomics is, if, if you read the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, all it is, it just calls for tons and tons and tons of spending. You cannot spend your way out of inflation. You cannot spend your way out of uh, uh, an economic downturn. You have to let the market work and do its thing. The market was fine. The country was fine before they shut it down. Uh, so the only, only thing that is included in Bidenomics really is spending. And China's not going to spend. They've already said that. So why does this model not work for other parts of the world, uh, including China, which you just mentioned now? Well, the economies of the other countries are also quite different. So um, Europe was experiencing higher inflation than, than we did uh, during the peak of the inflation. Um, and uh, under normal circumstances, though, Europe has has uh, relatively high uh, unemployment, higher than the United States. Um, so unemployment, inflation, different factors were a lot worse in other parts of the world than they are here. But that's normal. It's always like that. So a core aspect of Bidenomics is spending, right? And there's a lot of arguments out there that this spending in the U.S. economy is pushing off the recession. Um, if we apply this logic to other economies, let's say Europe, wouldn't that help push off the recession in Europe as well. And a plus here is that this is money coming from the U.S., so the European government doesn't have to take on more debt. What do you think? Well, if we just gave it to them for free, I guess I guess that would stimulate some economic activity in their country. But I, I don't know that that's really what we're proposing to do. You know, it's interesting that during the pandemic, Europe did not do the fiscal spending that the United States did. And as a result, the long-term damage from the pandemic is somewhat less in Europe than it is in the United States. But uh, I, if, if I were to ask someone to outline what is Bidenomics or explain it in three or four sentences or 10 bullet points, there really doesn't seem to be any kind of a plan there. So I don't know what could really be exported other than telling them to borrow and spend tons and tons of money, which is what Biden did. Well, all right. Thank you so much for your time today, Antonio. Okay, thank you, Don. Have a good day. The heaviest rain in a century is battering a major financial center in Asia. At least two have died in the severe flooding. Here's more from Hong Kong. 
Hong Kong was hit with record-breaking rainfall Thursday and into Friday, its heaviest in over a century of records. Parts of the Asian financial hub became a chaotic deluge, with some areas recording nearly eight inches of rain. Streets turned into rushing streams, leaving some to wade waist-deep in murky water. Metro stations became swamps. The city's rail operator, MTR, partially shut one line, while others were operating with delays. Business districts in the densely packed city of over 7 million remained flooded on Friday morning. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange remained shut for the day, while schools and offices were closed. The downpour also triggered landslides in some areas of the city. The torrential rain was brought by Typhoon Haikui, which made landfall in the Chinese province of Fujian on Tuesday. Although it had weakened, a huge amount of water was still dumped on areas still soaked by another super typhoon last week. Coming up, journalist Megan Kelly says she was diagnosed with an illness she believes was caused by getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Welcome back. Fulton County, Georgia has its eye on more conservatives. The grand jury has recommended criminal charges against Senator Lindsey Graham, as well as former Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. The report from December was just fully released today. It also recommends charges against retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who's a former Trump national security advisor, and Boris Epstein, who's also a top advisor to the 45th president. None of the accused officials have responded yet. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley has pulled even with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a key presidential battleground state. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the candidate and her campaign. A New Hampshire poll conducted by NMB Research shows Haley in a dead heat with DeSantis. Another poll from CNN released Thursday showed Haley beating President Joe Biden in the general election by seven points. Haley was the only Republican favored over President Biden in a hypothetical general election matchup. The former UN ambassador co-hosted an education town hall in New Hampshire this week with the influential conservative group Moms for Liberty under the slogan, Parents in Charge. Moms for Liberty co-founder Tiffany Justice called the mother of two a champion of moms and dads. Haley took a pledge during the event to honor fundamental parents' rights should she be elected. On foreign policy, Haley says being a military spouse shapes her views. In contrast to some of her fellow Republican candidates, she supports continued significant military aid to Ukraine, fearing a domino effect if Ukraine falls. If Russia takes Ukraine, then Poland and the Baltics are next, and then we are in war because those are NATO countries. The former UN ambassador believes the fruit of a Ukraine victory would extend far beyond Europe and Russia. Because China's watching. And if Ukraine wins, it sends the biggest message to China not to go into Taiwan. Haley says both Russia and China fear a strong military. We need to build up our military so strong that they never want to touch it. We need to let China know that there'll be hell to pay if they touch Taiwan. But Haley isn't writing a blank check for Taiwan's support. She qualifies those statements by saying the U.S. will defend Taiwan in the same way the U.S. is defending Ukraine. On Trump's legal woes, Haley had this to say. He's been charged. He has the right to defend himself. 
I trust jurors to go and listen to the information and make that decision. Let's let that fall out. Haley says she'll vote for whoever the Republican nominee is, which in her view will be better than a President Kamala Harris. But I trust the American people that they're going to vote for the right person. I think it's going to be me. I don't think they're going to vote for someone who's been convicted of a serious crime. So let's wait and see what happens. Haley has another big opportunity to attract more supporters with the second GOP debate. That is slated for September 27th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A George Soros-aligned district attorney resigns. Texas's Nueces County District Attorney Mark Gonzalez is dodging a lawsuit initially filed in January by a group called Citizens Defending Freedom. Now he's running for Ted Cruz's Senate seat. Epic Times reporter Darlene Sanchez is covering the move. We speak with her. Darlene Sanchez, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Darlene, Nueces County District Attorney Mark Gonzalez has resigned after facing removal from office for, uh, quote, incompetence and official misconduct under the guise of prosecutorial discretion. What warranted these accusations? Well, for some time, um, Mr. Gonzalez, uh, the DA there, he had, he'd actually been in office, this is his second uh, term, and since he took over, he was a Soros-aligned uh, DA, and people started complaining because there were thousands of cases um, that weren't getting prosecuted, and in fact, there were some very serious cases, including a murder and uh, an aggravated assault uh, or aggravated a rape case, basically, uh, involving 14 defendants that uh, was either languishing or uh, did not get prosecuted because of lost evidence. Now, tell us about that case. You mentioned the murder case. That's the murder of 21-year-old Brianna Wood. Yes. So apparently what happened was her ex-boyfriend and several others were charged with her murder. Um, she was found um, basically in a box wrapped in plastic, her body, her arms had been broken. Um, and so, you know, her mother, of course, you know, that's just inconceivable to most parents. And she was heartbroken. She wanted justice for her daughter and it drug on and got to the point where she said that Mr. Gonzalez had blocked her from emailing him. Goodness. And now, under Mr. Gonzalez, over 850 felony-level felony cases were dismissed between 2021 and 2022. They said, as we're talking about um, attempted murder, aggravated assault, sexual assault, that's according to the lawsuit anyways. How does that number compare to the dismissed cases of other DAs? Yes, um, it was probably about double what I think the previous uh, DA um, you know, the cases that had been dismissed. So in other words, it, there was a drastic difference between the number of cases that didn't uh, progress under uh, DA Gonzalez compared to his predecessor. That was something that was brought up in the lawsuit. And do we know why they were dismissed? Why so many more were dismissed? No, that was not uh, divulged. Um, it's prosecutorial discretion. And that's what many of these DAs say. They're like, well, you know, it's up to me whether or not to prosecute. Basically, the idea here is these DAs 
don't want people in the prison system because they feel that the U.S. prison system is racist and should be destroyed. Now, Darlene, Gonzalez was aligned with billionaire financier George Soros. Other DAs aligned with Soros have faced similar recalls. Can you explain for us briefly the big picture here? Yes. Well, what's happening here is conservatives across the country have been looking at this and paying attention to it because you're coddling criminals. You're not going after these people who have ruined our lives. And um, here in Texas, this was, uh, you know, basically a trial case to try to remove Mr. Gonzalez. And, you know, instead of going to that trial, which was scheduled in December, he said, oh, okay, well, I'm quitting and I'm running against, uh, you know, Republican Senator Ted Cruz. All right. Epic Times reporter Darlene Sanchez, thank you for your insight on this. Thank you so much. Veteran journalist Megan Kelly said Wednesday that she regrets getting the COVID-19 vaccine because she believes she had suffered a vaccine injury. Here's Kelly speaking on her podcast, The Megan Kelly Show. And I'm sorry I did it to myself. I've said this before, but I, I regret getting the vaccine, even though I'm a 52-year-old woman, because I don't think I needed it. I think I would have been fine. I'd got COVID many times and I, it was well past when the vac vaccine was doing what it was supposed to be doing. Um, and then for the first time, I tested positive for an autoimmune issue at my annual physical. Kelly added that she went to the best rheumatologist in New York. She asked her whether the illness could be connected to getting the COVID booster and then getting COVID within three weeks. The doctor said yes, and that Kelly wasn't the only one she'd seen. Kelly also discussed the pressure she's getting from her kids' school to get them vaccinated. Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson allegedly pressured South Africa into a no-fault contract before they would ship doses of their COVID vaccine to the country. Here are the details. A South African court ordered the documents to be made public. They were obtained and analyzed by the Health Justice Initiative. A contract released Pfizer and its partner BioNTech from any liability in COVID damage cases. A spokesman for the South African Department of Health said, quote, I wouldn't say we were bullied, but we were in a catch-22 situation to save lives of South Africans against all odds. South Africa also had to pay Pfizer a partially non-refundable deposit of $40 million for its vaccine with no guarantee of delivery. Assistant professor at Georgetown University Matthew Cavanaugh analyzed the contracts. In his words, South African officials were at the whims of each of these companies who really exploited that opportunity. Johnson & Johnson cut a similar deal with South Africa for its version of the jab. Both contracts also required a compensation program, forcing victims to prove a causal link between vaccination and injury to be judged by a panel of experts. Any money awarded in such cases would be paid for with taxpayer funds. The South African Minister of Health said only a few vaccine injury claims have been paid out so far. Other countries, including the U.S., shield vaccine manufacturers from lawsuits and compensate victims with taxpayer money. South African human rights lawyer Fatima Hassan said, quote, we were bullied into unfair and undemocratic terms and contracts that were totally one-sided. Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson did not respond to requests for comment. When we return, a popular online video game is employing AI to monitor what players say. 
It penalizes those who violate speech rules. And likely the largest class action lawsuit in history, find out how many people Facebook has to pay for violating their privacy when we come back. Thanks for staying with us. The Senate approves President Biden's nominee for a key fifth seat on the Federal Communications Commission, giving Democrats a majority on the telecommunications regulator. The Senate voted to confirm Anna Gomez, a Democratic telecommunications attorney who serves as a senior advisor for the State Department's Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy. Since January 2021, the FCC has been deadlocked 2-2 stalling Democrats' efforts to reinstate landmark net neutrality rules. Another big issue is the fate of a subsidy program for Internet users. Congress awarded the program $14.2 million in 2021. Low-income families in the program get $30 per month for Internet service. The program is expected to run out of money next year without more funding. The FCC is also looking to ban two state-owned Chinese communications companies from the U.S. A number of Chinese telecommunication companies have already been banned due to national security risks. Could the government use artificial intelligence? California Governor Gavin Newsom wants to study its potential for streamlining operations and improving efficiency. He signed an executive order on Wednesday to begin looking into it. 35 of the top 50 companies in the AI industry are located in California, and the state is looking for mutually beneficial partnerships. The order says AI-generated text, image, and other content could transform the way the state and the world conduct business. It says state employees could use AI technology to collect and organize data, but didn't specify any particular methods or programs. The governor is ordering a number of state agencies to collaborate and produce a report in the next two months. They have to detail the potential benefits and risks of adopting AI. Popular shooter video game Call of Duty has started using artificial intelligence to monitor what players say during online matches. The purpose is to crack down on what video game maker Activision calls hate speech and toxic behavior among players in online chat rooms. The video game uses a voice chat moderation system called Tox Mode. Online players will have no ability to turn off the speech policing algorithms and strict penalties await violators. The rules bar derogatory comments based on race, sexual orientation, or gender identity or expression. Punishment ranges from temporary suspensions and account renaming to permanent bans. A beta version of the speech policing algorithm is already used in America, in North America. Since implemented last year, Activision says over a million accounts have been penalized. A full version of the speech enforcement will be rolled out worldwide along with the upcoming release of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 on November 10th. Apple is urging iPhone and iPad owners to update their operating systems immediately. An update fixes a vulnerability that hackers may already be exploiting. It was discovered by the Citizen Lab at University of Toronto. The security flaw exists in iOS 16.6.1. Experts say iPhone and iPad owners should immediately go to the settings menu on their devices. From there, select General. 
then Software Update. Tap Install Now to begin the process. Speaking of Apple, the tech giant saw a 7% shares drop in the past two days. That follows reports that China has banned government officials from using iPhones at work. China is Apple's third largest market, accounting for 18% of its revenue last year. The Justice Department versus Google. The long-anticipated antitrust battle, which started under the Trump administration in 2020, will finally kick off next week. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the case. The Justice Department is accusing the search engine behemoth of having unlawful monopolies in its search and advertising businesses, calling the company a monopoly gatekeeper for the Internet. The DOJ says Google has accounted for almost 90% of all search queries in the U.S., and argues it has used unfair tactics to keep and grow its alleged monopolies in search and search advertising. The DOJ claims that Google has entered into a series of exclusive agreements with smartphone and computer companies, stating in its lawsuit that Google pays billions of dollars each year to popular device manufacturers like Apple, LG, Motorola, and Samsung as well as major wireless carriers such as AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon to get default status for its general search engine. The DOJ alleges those agreements forbid the pre-installation of any competing search service and force that Google's search application be in prime locations on mobile devices and be undeletable. The DOJ says these practices lock up the main avenues through which users access search engines and the Internet as a whole. Google disagrees with the allegations. It says consumers can change the default device settings, adding that people use Google because they want to, not because they have to. The trial is expected to last less than three months. VIPs like Apple CEO Tim Cook and Google CEO Sundar Pichai are expected to testify. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Facebook's privacy lawsuit could result in the largest number of people involved in a class action settlement in history. But how much will approved Facebook users actually receive? More than 28 million people have applied to claim a piece of the $725 million Facebook privacy settlement. 17 million of those have been approved so far, and 2 million were found to be duplicates. The lawsuit stems from Facebook selling the private information of people using its social media platform. The most famous company to buy the user data was consulting firm Cambridge Analytica. Facebook users receiving the settlement will see the full amount reduced by attorney's fees, administrative fees, and payments to the eight people who represented Facebook users in the case. The remaining money will be distributed, but not in equal amounts. Around $30 is the predicted average amount for the millions of users part of the class action suit. Coming up, beyond the SAT and ACT, Florida is voting on a new college entrance exam known as the classical learning test. What makes it different? And analysts say gas prices could fall slower than expected for the fall season. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. President Biden is in India for the G20 summit. He held a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Indian Prime Minister Modi this morning. The White House hopes to counter China's economic influence. 
Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson allegedly pressured South Africa into a no-fault contract for COVID-19 vaccines. A spokesman for the South African Department of Health says the country was in a catch-22 situation. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley is gaining ground. A New Hampshire poll shows that the former U.N. ambassador has pulled even with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. At an education town hall, she said the U.S. will defend Taiwan in the same way the U.S. is defending Ukraine. A new college entrance exam is coming to Florida. The governing body for the state's public universities is expected to approve the classic learning test today. The Florida Board of Governors will vote on whether college applicants can submit the new test as an alternative to the SAT and ACT. The CLT is popular among conservative political groups and Christian schools because it focuses on core subjects and the reading material is drawn from classic texts. If it's approved, Florida would become the first state university system to accept the exam. New College of Florida is already willing to accept the CLT for admissions pending board approval. Today marks one month since the deadly Maui wildfires claimed 115 lives and destroyed a historic town on the island. Senator Maisie Hirono spoke on the Senate floor yesterday to honor the victims. And tragically, the fires have claimed 115 lives to date, with some 385 people still unaccounted for. These numbers are devastating and reflect the pain and anguish Hawaii is feeling. The fire was the deadliest in the United States in over a century. Up till today, thousands of Maui residents are still living in temporary shelters across the island. Senator Hirono reiterated her commitment to securing the resources needed for recovery efforts. Does the end of the busy summer driving season mean relief at the pumps? Analysts say prices may not fall that quickly. Here's a look at the road ahead. With summer road trips in the rearview mirror, this is typically the time of year when gas prices start to retreat. Fall is generally a time of year where most motors will see falling gasoline prices. A lot of that has to do with the fact that now with summer over, demand for gasoline declines and that should lead to price improvement. Fall also brings winter gasoline to the pumps, a blend that makes it easier to start cars in cold temperatures that's also cheaper to produce and can send prices 10 to 30 cents lower per gallon. But this September, Patrick DeHaan of Gas Buddy says there are things to watch here at home. Our hurricane season that is in its prime, it's certainly a very active one, so we'll have to keep an eye out for any threats. Uh, keeping in mind that much of the nation's refining capacity is in the Texas and Louisiana uh, area of the Gulf. Uh, hurricanes can disrupt the flow of refined products. And factors abroad, like the pressure on global oil prices as the world's biggest exporters of crude oil extend production cuts to boost their revenues. Expectations are uh, now that the Saudis and Russians are cutting oil production for the next several months. The good news, gas prices are still well below their peak in June 2022, when the national average for a gallon of regular gas topped $5 per gallon. At a cost of $50 million, President Biden is spending big on renovating the White House Situation Room. A much-needed makeover is now complete in the high-security area under the West Wing. The room was refitted with enhanced security and technology. You're looking at the main meeting room where mahogany finishes pair with a navy carpet and ultra-modern monitors line the wall. The Situation Room is where U.S. presidents and their top aides hold calls with foreign leaders. 
receive classified information and watch intelligence feeds. Despite being called a room, there are actually multiple rooms and a command center. This was the Situation Room's first renovation in 15 years. When we come back across distances and nationalities, dancers from around the world gather in New York for the NTD Classical Chinese Dance Competition. What stories do they have to share? And we're back with a feast of culture and beauty. The 10th NTD International Classical Chinese Dance Competition kicked off yesterday at Purchase College in New York State. The junior division competed in dance stories and a combination of technical movements. Contestants shared their experiences and what brought them to the competition. Let's take a look. Spanning 5,000 years, Chinese historical figures and the divine culture behind come to life on this stage. Taiwan's Yunsi Liu portrayed Yang Yuhuan, one of the four beauties of ancient China, from a maiden to a woman to becoming a noble consort. I wanted to present the best and most positive aspect to the audience, so I decided to show the most pinnacle stages of her life. I performed this part because I understood that this historical figure and such culture came from heaven to the people. This idea has been passed down to the present day so that people can learn from the past. Also from Taiwan, Yutsu Tsai presented Dance of the Courtyard depicting the shyness and reserve of ancient girls. Girls in ancient times had a high threshold to step through. They wouldn't lose their posture when playing, like a dignified lady, very elegant. Grace Rubicek is from Feitian Academy of the Arts. With the performance spring, she entered the contest for the second time. Though a Westerner, she is dedicated to promoting traditional Chinese culture. Today, China is like a lot of the culture is gone and mm. because of the Chinese revolution mm. and yeah a lot of it you ca it can't be found anymore mm. so I think by showing the values and virtues of classical Chinese dance and the history of China is very meaningful and important. Eleven contestants braved the long journey from Taiwan to New York for the competition. They shared the experience of progressing together. It's all about working together and promoting classical Chinese dance together. There's no difference between us. I can't have that kind of ego anymore. That way, I can really dedicate myself into the dance. Our brains react more to negative events than positive ones. But focusing on problems can undermine our health and blind us to blessings. Let's find a way to improve. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. It's safe to say that nearly everyone has been feeling a bit negative in recent times, especially over the past few years. But despite what's happening globally, there may be another reason we're all feeling so gloomy. And interestingly enough, it's in our brains. Research has shown that our brains react more strongly to adverse events than positive ones. This might help explain why we fall into negative feelings and find it hard to let them go. 
Why is it that one critical comment from a coworker or someone cutting you off in traffic is enough to ruin your day? We often ruminate on these minor irritations, allowing them to take over our thoughts. They taint what might otherwise be a great day. So why do our minds seem to focus on and place more importance on bad things instead of good things? Science suggests that we have a bias. Abundant empirical evidence indicates that humans tend to focus on, learn from and use negative information from their environment. They do this far more than using positive information. This behavior has a name, negativity bias. It's our tendency to process and remember negative stimuli more than positive stimuli. That's right, we humans dwell on adverse events. But the good news is, this bias can be helpful. Our not-so-distant ancestors lived in a world full of physical danger like animals, the cold, starvation and war. It required that we be extra vigilant about personal safety as a matter of survival. There are fewer threats to our personal health and safety these days. They are usually less catastrophic, but our brains continue to look for new things to worry about. As a result, we constantly scan for dangerous situations and expend a lot of resources focusing our attention on them. This safety mechanism in our brains may be making the world and our daily existence seem more unpleasant than it really is. Our brains are hardwired to pay more attention to negativity. This explains why we give precious little attention to the positive things. All of this information isn't meant to feed any negativity, of course. Rather, it can help us to understand why we may easily get stuck in negative loops and find them so difficult to escape. The good news is, is that we can train our brains to be more positive and improve our health in the process. The first step is simply being aware that our brains work this way. It's helpful to know that you're more sensitive to negative stimuli from your environment and tend to lock onto it. The negativity bias shows that bad things have two, three or four times the impact of good things. If you're stewing over a passing comment from a friend or fixating on the latest catastrophic news events, just stop. Tell yourself you need to look for some more positive news. You, you could also go outside for a walk or listen to some of your favorite music. Do something that will make you feel good. Changing your environment and stimulus is also hugely helpful. It can pull you out of the cycle you may be stuck in. We wrap up with some of this week's fun stories. Like something out of a movie, a high-speed chase took place on a highway in Buenos Aires. Police footage captured the pursuit of two men who had stolen a van. The chase ended with a dramatic crash. The drivers hit a road verge, causing the van to crash and roll. Afterwards, both men left the van and attempted to run away, but police caught up to them and detained them. And the world's first liquid hydrogen-powered plane debuted in Germany. Its developer says it marks a milestone for, for the aviation industry. Using liquid hydrogen instead of gaseous hydrogen, the plane doubles its maximum range to over 900 miles. That's enough to fly from Chicago to Dallas. An optical illusion art installation at the Paris Opera. While the landmark is undergoing renovation, a French artist got the idea to make something out of the scaffolding covering the monument, inviting viewers to change their perspective. The installation is based on Plato's philosophical allegory, The Cave, about stepping out of assumptions and consensus to understand the world. In a rare sight, two ostriches were spotted running through the streets in Bolivia. The origin of these birds remains a mystery, and it's unclear if they've been captured either by authorities or their owners. San Antonio Zoo is celebrating the arrival of a new male okapi calf. 
a delightful addition to the endangered species family. The little one will spend its initial weeks bonding with its mother before venturing into its habitat. The name for this young okapi will be determined by this year's annual Zubilation Ball in November. And fly above Qatar with this falcon roaming the skies. Authorities unveiled an impressive video titled Qatar's Bird's Eye View. It features a falcon soaring over Qatar's iconic landmarks. It was captured using a video camera attached to the falcon, the National Bird of Qatar. More of this captivating footage can be viewed on the Visit Qatar YouTube channel. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.